Um, the first part is we install the new leadership in view of our financial committee. Um, these are folks that we have designated to help the church make the financial decisions that come upon us. Some of these things, you have vested them with the authority to make those decisions without a vote. Some of them would come to the church for a vote. We, we practice what's called a, ch- a congregational form of church government, and we believe that's, that's the right thing for us to do. But at the same time, you vested these groups of leadership with certain authorities. Uh, you've also vested a certain degree of biblical authority in me as your pastor. Um, I seek no more authority than what the Bible demands that I have, because with authority comes responsibility. And these men that are rotating off and these men that are rotating on are keenly aware of the level of responsibility that is involved in these positions. Now, we use the blanket term leadership to distinguish them from everybody else. But understand, you don't have to have a title to exercise leadership in this church. Um, We use that term, but the reality of it is um, anybody can be a part of the leadership of this church. We, we need men that aren't deacons and trustees and financial committee members. We, we just need men to lead. And there are even, hear me now, there are even occasions and situations in which we need ladies that are willing to lead. Um, the Bible gives us instruction regarding that, but this idea that, that ladies don't do anything but sit there and look pretty, and I appreciate when they sit there and look pretty, but there's more to be done than that. And so we're, we're dealing with the financial committee, but we're also seating our new deacon board. Um, you may have heard the term a plurality of elders. A lot of people are transitioning to um, a, a form of church government called the plurality of elders. And, uh, and there is some scriptural evidence that that was done in some places. Um, We do not function in that way organizationally or officially, but I will tell you this, we function in that way practically. It's a rare thing for me to go against the counsel of our leadership. It's a rare thing for me not to... I believe God's brought them into these positions for a reason and that I would be wise to listen. Now, do we always agree? Not always. Not always. And almost always. Always, they turn out to be right. Now, sometimes it's a while before I realize that. But they, they've been given wisdom and have had experiences that I've not had. And it's a wise thing for me to listen. On occasion, on occasion it proves that I'm right. But nobody has yet admitted to that ever happening. Um, but anyway, um, so I thought what we'd do tonight is is we would begin with some thoughts about the deacon. So turn to Acts chapter 6, would you? Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. And when you found your place, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at this passage.
Gracious Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight um, to, to be with one another. As this world grows darker and slips farther and farther away from you, it is such a joy to be able to gather with like-minded believers who, uh, who frankly need each other. Thank you for this family. Thank you for these that have served so uh, ably, godly, godly men that have, that have been submissive to my leadership when it was called for, but have been courageous to tell me when I'm wrong. And though I don't always appreciate that in the moment, I am thankful that we have had a group of men in leadership, that their one concern has been the will of God for this church. And we could ask for no more, nor would we dare to. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their service. I'm asking you to bless them now as they move to whatever they have next. Some of them will rotate back on at some point. Some of them will find other ways to serve and to lead here. God, I just pray that you would just bless them and their families. They missed a lot of family time for meetings and things like that. So uh, thank you, Lord, for their sacrifice. Thank you for these that are coming on. I pray, God, that you would give them wisdom. Endow them with just an extra measure of grace and insight and use them for your honor and glory. And Lord, help me to have the wisdom to know when to lead them and the wisdom to know when to follow their lead. So God, help us tonight, we pray, as we look to your word and as we finish this service up. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. A number of things that we notice from this passage. First of all, they were facing a problem in verse number one. The church had grown so quickly. Um, and the church had assumed responsibility for, um, for the needs of widows that were, as the Bible puts it, widows indeed. And that's a distinction that needs to be made. Um, these were people that were really destitute. 
And what was happening was, at least it was perceived, that the Grecian widows were not being taken care of like the Hebrew widows and vice versa. And so the Lord directed the apostles to establish what we call the diaconate, the office of deacon. Now there are qualifications, we'll get into that in a minute, but their, their job was to address this problem. These widows were being neglected. Their, their job was to address a problem whose solution was service. Service. A deacon originally, their job was to wait on tables, to see to it that these widows had what they needed, particularly their physical needs. That was the problem. Now, in verse number two, we see that there had to be a priority established. The apostles saw it this way, that the most important thing that they did as the elders and and leaders of these churches, particularly the one at Jerusalem, was prayer and the study and preaching of God's word. That was their priority. But that didn't mean that these widows were not a priority. They were a priority too. And so these deacons were brought on board to deal with that priority. It's something that needed to be taken care of. And so they were brought into place to do just that. Sometimes in the organization of a church, we have to establish priorities. This is my priority. This is your priority. This is your priority. And if we all meet our priorities, everything runs smoothly. And that's why the deacons were brought on, to establish some help for priority. There was a process in verses 3 through 5. Not just anybody that wanted to be a deacon could be a deacon. In, in 1 Timothy 3, we see the specific qualifications for a deacon. You know, when you have a bad back and a chair is right here, why not use it for a second? All right? So this is like I'm a rabbi now, you know. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> and don't strain to see me. That's the least part of this you want. Um, but... Uh, what was I saying? Oh, the process. First Timothy 3 gives us the... Now, there's some other places, Titus and some other places, that I just don't feel right, that give, us a, that, that give us some qualifications for being a deacon. There are good men out there that would make good deacons, great deacons, if they met the qualifications as laid for by Scripture. And they don't. That's, that's not a scourge on them. We just find some other way for them to serve. But there, were, there was a process, and, and God laid out the, the qualifications and what you're to look for. In this particular case, with these men in, in Acts chapter 6, look at what he says. He said, these are, these are men that, uh, of honest report, their reputation preceded them, full of the Holy Ghost. And what's that mean? When you get saved, when you get saved, the Holy Ghost indwells you, but to be filled with the Spirit means that He has all of you. You have all of Him when you get saved, but when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you have all of, He has all of you. Lord, help me, I'm stumbling. He has all of you. Full of faith. Says that about Stephen. Full of wisdom. And it does say, look yet among you seven men. 
Now, I'm sorry to say that there are churches out there that have placed people in these roles that are not biblically qualified. Ladies, I'm for you. I am. You're not qualified to be a deacon. There's two offices of the church, the pastor and the deacon, and ladies are not qualified to be deacons. Does that mean you're lesser? Certainly not. Certainly not. It just means God has established that this is a role for a man to fill. Does that mean, does that, mean that men are inherently more important? Absolutely not. Role has nothing to do with value. It's nothing to do with value. Some of the most valuable Christians I've ever known have been ladies. You ask me who's the most valuable person in my life, guess what? It's a lady. My wife. See. But there's a process that they went through. And we went through a process. We, the sitting leadership, nominated some people, brought it to the church. The church uh, voted in favor of that. And, and now we're seating them in their places. There's a process to be followed. God does all things decently and in order. And then there was prayer. Verse number six. And they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. In one case tonight, we have have three deacons. One is remaining on as as a, 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 um, a bridge to the last group. And then uh, one has already been ordained, and we're not going to reordain him tonight. And one is to be ordained tonight. And when we do that, don't get nervous, Josh. I'm going to lay hands on you. Okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. You better be ready. All right? And we're going to pray. Now, with the financial committee, we're not going to do it quite the same way. We're going to pray over them, too. And we're going to pray over the ones that are rotating off. We're going to pray over everything. We're going to pray over the food. I can't think of a situation that it's ever not a good idea to pray. And then what happened? It was a product. When you do things God's way, good things happen. And look at verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What happened? When you did things God's way, and you put the right people in the right places, and they were doing what God's called them to do, you can't help but see an increase. There's a product. And so that's what we're going to set in motion tonight. Now, I'd like you to go to Exodus chapter 17. I want to broaden our thoughts tonight beyond the deacons. I want to broaden them beyond the financial committee, beyond the treasurer, beyond the clerk, beyond the Sunday school superintendent beyond the Sunday school teacher. I want this to be something that speaks to everybody that's here. Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse number 8. Israel has seen some wonderful victories. They've seen God do some wonderful things. But in verse number 8, then came Amalek. There's different views on this. I have always taken Amalek to be a type of the flesh. There's a good argument to be made for the devil as well, but whatever it's a type of, it ain't good. He fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. 
Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So understand the picture. When his hands are up, Israel's winning. As his hands droop, Israel's losing. Now, why did God set it up that way? I have no idea. I have no idea, but he did. Maybe to teach us a lesson here in 2023. But that's, that's, why he said, that's how he set it up. Verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. We see an exciting tale of a battle that wages and rages between Israel and Amalek. Joshua's out there with his choice soldiers. Moses, the stalwart leader of the Israelites, standing up on the mountaintop. Moses, who even at this point in his life, his eye had not dimmed and his natural force had not abated. Moses, who was, who was so so endued with with spiritual power that when he came down from the mount and saw two and a half million people worshiping the golden calf, he threw it into, he cast it down and ground it to powder and told every adult there, drink it. And they did. That's a powerful man. But Moses is not the hero of this story. Joshua leading the armies in the middle of the battle, not leading from behind. He's right in the middle of it. Joshua, who would later become the leader of Israel. Man, what a guy. He's not the hero. Even the soldiers. Thank the Lord for the military. But even the soldiers in this story, that what they're doing is heroic, they're not the heroes. Who are the heroes? Aaron and her. Moses cannot keep his hands up. And if you try it, after a while, your hands get tired too. So no matter how well Joshua leads, no matter how well the men fight, no matter what, how well intended Moses is, the fact is, if his hands drop, they lose. But you got two men. Aaron and her. And the first thing they say is, well, let's get Moses more comfortable. So they find a stone that's suitable to sit on, and they sit him on it. And then they hold his hands up. Now, I want you to think about this. If they're holding his hands up, they're holding their own up. And they're not just holding it up in the air like Moses was. They're holding it up in the air with the added weight of holding Moses' hands. And after a while, what do you think happens to their arms? Their arms get tired. 
So what do they do? I'll tell you what they do. Okay, Moses, I can't keep doing this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get under your arms. Now, I don't want to be gross. But under somebody's arms, not the most wonderful place to be. Especially in the desert. Pre-deodorant. These two men, who, by the way, are not the lowest tier of Israeli society, wedge themselves in an unpleasant place and do the work that only they can do in that moment for the greater good. And they're the heroes. And God knows my heart. I'm what, the ninth or tenth pastor in the history of this church. And if Jesus doesn't come back soon, somebody will succeed me. And I thank God for pastors. I've got a special place in my heart for pastors. But you know what? Pastors come and pastors go. Now, I hope that I don't go anytime soon, unless we all go. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But the fact is, the heroes of the church are the ones that are willing to wedge themselves into unpleasant situations and just stay. Just be faithful. Do what they can do for the greater good. And that may take the form of a deacon. It may take the form of a financial committee. It may take the form of a Sunday school teacher. It may take the form of somebody working in the sound booth or the video booth. It may take the form of somebody that cleans the bathrooms every weekend. It may take the form of somebody that coordinates the food. It may take the form of somebody who helps in the school. It may take the form of somebody who bless their hearts, has to be on my staff and listen to me drone on and on every day. It, may take, it could take all kinds, of, or it could take the form of somebody that just takes the time to get up every morning and pray for us. The point is, every one of us in here has the ability, the wherewithal, the opportunity to be heroic. If you're just willing to do what's before you. You know, so tonight we're sit, we're setting three deacons on the deacon board. We're setting the new financial committee. But don't you think for a second that that expands this clergy laity distinction? Well, there's them and there's us. No, we use the term leadership, but every person in here, including young people, has the opportunity to be leaders. I tell these kids in the school all the time, especially our, our upperclassmen, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, those 7th and 8th graders, those 5th and 6th graders, you may not realize it, and the truth is 
they might not even realize it, but they're watching and they're looking and they're learning. And what we need the purpose to do is be leaders, to show them how to live in a way that pleases God. On our sports teams, be a leader. In our classrooms, be a leader. In our Sunday school classes, be a leader. Hey, dads, in our homes, be a leader. So we're going to do this thing tonight. But don't you think for a second that it sets these folks above you in any way. Everything about this church is linear. There's a, there's a, a truth that we hold dear as Baptists. The individual priesthood of the believer. We're all on the same level. Now, yes, we're called to different things in different roles, and some of those roles carry more authority than others. And the truth is, please remember this, role does not indicate value. Just because you don't have a role of authority that somebody else has does not mean you're of any less value. You are absolutely of equal importance. There's not one person that could leave this church tonight and never come back and we wouldn't feel it. So tonight we're setting official leadership, but I'm challenging all of us to leadership, all of us. The heroes that day, Aaron and her. I'm glad for people like that. And this church is full of them. And I'm thankful. I'm grateful.